Welcome everyone to Resurrection Life Church in Cadillac, Michigan. Thank you for joining us today. We're so glad to have you with us, and we pray that you encounter God's goodness through the message today. One of the things, as I was praying about this message um, and, and, and how to move forward, I was actually, I was reminding a lot of my childhood. Um, I, I was reminded a lot, you know, many of you know, um, different areas, weak, strong, broken, you know, rebuilt, and those are things that I've just been going through as an individual. So looking back on my childhood, it hasn't always been easy to remember good things. And I can think most of us that have come from or had bad situations in our lives, it's tough for us to remember something fun or enjoyable in a difficult situation. And I think as, as the last couple years have been going on and relationships have been getting rekindled, I, I think so much, you know, now it's like I'm having good memories again. Like I, I literally am starting to remember things that were fun, things that were exciting, things that we got to do and didn't have to do, right? So as, we were, as I was sitting here and I was thinking this week, um, I could remember waking up on Saturday mornings um, very early. My dad typically woke up at 4 a.m. to go to work. Um, and we would get up on a Saturday morning at 4 o'clock in the morning, and, and we would drive into work. Um, and I can remember in that drive uh, from Milford or the Highland area to South Lyon, we would stop at a local coffee shop, and we'd grab a coffee, um, grab a donut. Um, I always got a sprinkle donut, and still to this day, I absolutely love sprinkles. Um, I would just about eat them on anything. Ice cream, pancakes, crepes, uh, latte is probably the only way I'll really drink a good latte is with sprinkles in it and Cool Whip, but I'm, I love sprinkles. So those are good, good memories. <clears throat> but it was on these Saturday morning trips that we had about an hour drive that we could talk, that we could kind of connect, that we could rub shoulders, um, talk about what's going on in each other's lives, talk about what's going on for the day or what he had going. But most importantly, I got to see what my dad did for a living. Like I, I got to see what he did, what he put his hands and his feet to every single day. And I had, in that moment, the opportunity to learn tool and die because that's what he did. He was in a tool and die fabrication shop. So most of my life, I was around that type of industry. And in that industry, you use a variety of tools. And I think one of the favorite tools that I got to use, and to this day it's still my favorite tool, is an angle grinder. Because you can put that bad boy on any piece of metal and make sparks fly. And I love that. And I really think that that has burned or ignited or at that time ignited and it's only gotten more intense, my desire for fireworks. I love fireworks. I love them. Um, but I think that's why. It's just seeing all those sparks fly using that tool was fabulous to me. But you see, in that same time frame of going out and driving back and forth, he also started his own shop. So we built a pole barn at our house and, we, and he opened a fabricating shop there at the house. You know, and it was in this place that I learned how to use torches, I learned how to use all kinds of air tools, and I learned how to weld in that shop. <clears throat> it was in this pole barn that I learned actually how to heat up metal and how to manipulate it, how to twist it, how to bend it, how to hit it, and how to transform this piece of metal into something that was usable. 
it was in this process of heating up metal and shaping it that I learned about forging. And see, forging is that process of heating up metal in a furnace. Old school forging, coals, fire, new school forging, furnace, propane. Easy, clean, quick. This is my son's forge, that's not mine. I wish it was mine. Actually, I wish mine was bigger, but. So that's the forge furnace right there in front of you. And you would take this piece of metal and you'd make it very hot and you'd hit it over an anvil or you'd put it in a vise and turn it, squeeze it. Or you could take other pieces together after you flattened them or turned them into whatever piece that you want, you could weld them together. You see, it's in this process that we got to create something. But it's in this process of creating something that you took something and you heated it up. There's a lot of pressure in there. There's a lot of heat in there. And I think that looking back on this time in my life, I can relate my life to that forge. I can relate my life to going through situations in our lives where we have fire, right? We have, we have situations of refining, correct? Or we have situations where we need to be bent and twisted a little, right? Or we need to be stretched and grown a little bit. So the series today, the series actually for the next few weeks is called The Forge. I don't know. Yeah, it's up there, The Forge. Meg made that. I thought that was fantastic. I love that. But over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about the forge, and we're going to talk about the process of forging and what that looks like and the things that go into that. And the title of today's message is Impurities. Because when forging, one of the first things you do is you take that piece of metal and you heat it. And you heat it so hot that it's past red, it's orange, and sometimes it's translucent, it's white. And it's in this process of heating the metal in the fire that you're making it malleable, malleable, right? You can work that metal. You can manipulate it to do whatever you want. But it's also in this process where you're bringing to the surface and you're illuminating the impurities, the imperfections in this metal. You see, one of the first things you do in forging is you gotta get rid of the garbage in the metal. You gotta knock off the stuff that's on this metal, right? You take this piece and you put it inside there and you heat it up and we're burning it as hot as we can get it and we pull it out and then we start hitting it. You see, in modern day forging now, there's really not a lot of impurities in our steel, in our metal. But historically, you'd have to hit off coal, dirt, ore, you're hitting out carbon, Right, because you're taking something and you're making it stronger. You see, fire brings an element of change, doesn't it? It's change. And it's in this process of heating up metal that can be stretched and bent. It's transformed. And we talk about that over and over again in our Christian lives. We talk about being transformed. And it's in that change that we can shape things the way that we want. You can melt it down completely and start all over again if you wanted to. And that's what we talked a little bit after worship about. We're not always going to hit a grand slam, are we? There's going to be times in our lives where we need a do-over. There's going to be times in our lives where we are going to have to have a reset and do something again. Fire is also used in the Bible. 
like I said earlier, it's a refining process. And we read in Isaiah 48.10, See, I have refined you. Though not as silver, I have tested you in the fire or the furnace of affliction. And in Proverbs 17.3, Fire tests the purity of silver and gold, but the Lord tests the heart. He tests the heart. It's in the refining process that our own impurities are brought to the surface. And I think looking at my life, I think my impurities are too long to list. The list can go on and on and on and on. And it's hard to pinpoint all of those things. But I think when you want to sum it up, you can say impurities in life are self-indulgences. They're self-indulgences. I'm a self-indulger. And I think many of us in this room could probably admit to the same thing. We have these things in our lives. You see, self-indulgence is the feeding of the passions of the flesh, isn't it? The passions of the flesh. Instantly, when you talk about passions of the flesh, usually the first thing that comes to mind is sex. It's not always sex. Passions of the flesh can be pride. Passions of the flesh can be greed. Because we read in 1 Peter 2.11, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from selfish, sinful desires which wage war against your soul. You see, self-indulgence is indulging ourselves in any pleasure that is harmful to our souls. That's harmful to our souls. Self-indulgence is spiritually dangerous to us because it's a form of idolatry. It's something that we've put before God. Self-indulgence is something we turn to instead of God for happiness. And I think that's the thing that trips us up so much. And I think, I'm going to tell you right now, I look at society. We're a self-gratifying society. If we can't have it instantly, Amazon, as soon as we want it, how we want it, right? When we want it, we're not happy. And that goes for anything. You know, you know how upset I got during covid when Amazon Prime went to like five days instead of two? Seriously. I've been trained to have something in northern Michigan pretty much next day air. And then how dare they go to five days? But that's where my brain went because I've had something for so long the way that I wanted it and we actually pay for it now, right? It's subtle over time. But then it comes time to where we can't have that thing that we're used to, and we get upset. Self-indulgence blinds our spiritual vision and quenches our spiritual appetite. We are blinded. It happens. It's okay. But the problem is, is that we need to admit it. You see, if we don't take it seriously, it can, like Solomon's wives, what did it do to Solomon? He turned his heart away, didn't he? It turned his heart away. He was no longer seeking the Lord. Self-indulgence takes as many forms, as many forms as there are people and pleasures. You see, that list can go on forever, can it? That's, that list of self-indulgence will take as many forms as there are pleasures of this world, as there are people of this world. 
It comes in all shapes and sizes. And we can read that in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 and 10. Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or the, are thieves or greedy people or drunkards or abusive or cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. At first, when I was thinking about this verse, I thought, those are private sins. Those are private things that we deal with, right? Those are things that the public doesn't see. Those are things that we deal with often in a corner. You see, but what I'm seeing and what I'm hearing and what I'm reading is is that we're actually taking these things right now and those things are becoming publicly acceptable. Those things are becoming almost appreciated. And those things are the things that we need to steer clear of. Those things are the things that we need to watch out for. And it's not just those things. That list is an example. There is no sin higher than the other. And I think that's where I can trip up too. I can think this thing that I'm doing over here is so much worse than what this person's doing over there because I judge too, right? So now I'm judging sin. Now I'm acting like God. But a sin is a sin. There is no greater than thee, okay? But for most of us, for most of us, the most dangerous and tempting indulgences are those that appear as I just got done saying, as socially acceptable, right? Socially acceptable. These are subtle because it's not the actions themselves that are necessarily sinful, but it's what's in our heart. It's what's inside of us that's motivating us to do that thing. So socially, we appear to do good while secretly indulging in pride, right? We want something selfishly. Greed. I'm greedy. How about gluttony? I'm there too. I, I literally have shared with you before, I can eat not a, a Oreo, not a roll, but I can eat a package of mega stuffed Oreos all by myself. That's not healthy. It's not. I love them. How about negligence? We do that too, don't we? We're not supposed to. How about lack of love? How many of us literally size people up in the room? People that we know, right? You can go to, I was just at my mom's. I was at my mom's. My brother's there, my mom's. We got family there. I had family all last week at our house, and I can tell you sometimes right now I feel like I love one more than I love the other. Is that right? No. It's these things. It's these things that Jesus was talking about in Matthew 23, verse 25. 
Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You see, outside we look presentable, we look clean, we look holy, don't we? Because we're Christian. But how many of us wear that label when inside we're broken, we're hurting? We're full of lust or selfish desires or greed or hoarding. We have these things in our lives. They're real things. But publicly, we don't want to share them, or publicly, we don't want to talk about them. Self-indulgence is hard to fight. It's a hard sin for us to fight because it's, it's, it's something that we desire, isn't it? It's hard for us to fight because it's something that we're self-seeking. It's something that we're desiring inside. And at the moment of indulging, it doesn't feel like an enemy, does it? It's not an enemy. It feels good. It feels like a reward, doesn't it? It's a reward because it's making us happy temporarily. But we're happy, so we're doing it. It feels like a relief from a craving that insistently begs for satisfaction. It's always knocking at the door, isn't it? Always nagging. But after indulging, defeat hangs, like our, hangs around our necks, doesn't it? Defeat hangs like a heavy yoke around us. We know it was wrong. We know we weren't supposed to do it, but we did it anyway for temporary happiness. Temporary happiness. And this is what's even more dangerous. If that thing becomes a habit, if that thing becomes a habit in which we actually daily practice in our lives, because eventually we cave to defeat, don't we? We cave to defeat. Even though we repent and confess of our sin, even though we do that, we repent and confess every single time And we know that we're forgiven through Christ, don't we? We know that. But the demoralizing effect of that repeated indulgence and that repeated defeat that we feel when we're done is so heavy that we cannot bear it anymore. Eventually, we cave. You see, Jesus doesn't want us to live with the weight of this defeat, but he wants us to live in the freedom that he purchased on the cross for our sins, and that's where Jesus Christ wants us. That's where he wants us. He wants us to lay this thing aside. It's a matter of obedience, right? It's a matter of obedience to Jesus Christ. To fight self-indulgence, we need to know that what fuels it is the promise that we've made up and we believe. Right? There's something in our heads. There's this false promise of happiness. Ask yourself, what have you been promising yourself? What are you literally thinking about in this moment as I'm standing right here? How many of us probably can't wait to get out the door to do something that's self-gratifying?
What are you believing in that is fueling your indulgent behavior? What are we believing in? And I dare to say, most of us probably aren't going to know it right off the top of our head. You probably can't even articulate it, right? You can't pinpoint what that, you might be able to say what the thing is, but we don't necessarily know why we're doing it. And this is a good one right here. When we ask ourselves what this promise is or what this thing is that we're doing and why we're doing it, here's the biggest temptation. It's not even believing that it's a promise, right? It's one of those things that we can just say, I can stop anytime I want to. I can stop anytime I want to. I can say no at any time. I can walk away anytime I want to walk away. But to fight the battle, it's more than just saying no. You see, saying no does not identify the root of of why we have this indulgence. Saying no does not bring to the surface the impurity that is in the center of our hearts. Saying no is temporary. It takes work to bring those impurities to light. You see, we need to do a little probing, right? We need to do a little forging of our heart. We need to do a little forging of our lives. We need to do a little examining, don't we? Because there's some stuff in there that needs to be removed. It's in that probing that we will identify why we are doing what we are doing. And that's really the root. That's really the area that we need to go. The devil does not want us to navigate the process of temptation or where that temptation is derived from. The devil wants us to experience this indulgence as a pleasurable invitation to happiness. And I think that's where we get tripped up so much. If you do this, what did he do to Eve? Right off the bat, Genesis. I mean, right out of the gate. Right out of the gate. It's that promise of happiness that's ignited this idea, and it's, it's happiness that's fueling this passion, this lust, this desire. And it's in this promise of happiness that gives this craving the power that it needs to go from a thought to a reality. Because now it's not a thought anymore. It's actually something that we're doing, we're participating in. We've taken action in. And if we've taken action in it and we do it enough and we're not sorry for it, it's going to become a habit. If we simply try to address that craving, that thing, rather than the root of why we're doing it, we likely won't see long-term change, will we? We're kind of putting a Band-Aid on a problem, aren't we? It's not our craving that's necessarily so strong either. It's the belief that we're going to be less happy if we pass that craving up, right? Because we want to be as happy happy as possible. I caught myself the other day saying to my son, I just want you to be happy. And we're literally driving down the road and I had to stop myself and I told him, I said, I didn't mean that. I did, I did not mean that. 
we want to enjoy the things that we do, but we have to seek Christ in all things that we do. And it's going to be in that area of seeking Christ in which he's going to open doors and shed lights on the things that we have for our lives. And we will walk through those doors and we walk down that path, happiness will come along the way. But in the meantime, we do not always do what makes us happy. But that seems to be the worldwide slogan right now. You see, it's our belief in this false happiness that's controlling us, isn't it? It's literally controlling us. What movie did we watch last night? What was that? Oh, yeah, don't knock me. I watch Black Widow, okay? Yeah, I love Marvel, and I like it, and I watch it. But the whole thing, anybody watch it? All right, I'm going to ruin it for you. No, I'm kidding. But it has to do a lot with the mind, okay? It has to do a lot with the mind. And I thought, man, that is so powerful. Because once he's inside, once the devil's inside, and he's starting to manipulate that thing and make that thing fire and millions of directions. We can't even focus. We don't even know which way we're going. It's our belief in this false happiness that's controlling these cravings. What are we desiring? What are we lusting for? What is this thing that's driving us? Or, plural, things. Correct? Things. Smoking, alcohol, sex, eating, spending, pornography, gambling, work, sports, social media. And this is probably the biggest one that I've seen in the last couple months. Social justice. We are not the judges. We are not the judges. The list can go on and on and on. You see, but what what takes us from this list? What can pull us away from this thing that we're dealing with? Take a smoker, for instance. My mom, she smoked. As far as I can remember, she probably had a cigarette when I was born. I have no idea. I feel like it because that's, I literally, as far as I can remember, my mom smoked. Up until a couple years ago, she quit. Cold turkey, done. Not smoking anymore. What can do that? What can take someone for something that's so strong has controlled them most of their lives to all of a sudden quit? It's a change of belief, isn't it? Because now what you're doing is you're looking at one happiness that wasn't so great and wasn't so happy, and you're really looking for something that's better, a different happiness. But how many of us can stumble when we're jumping happy to ha- happiness to happiness? You see, that happiness has to be found in God. That happiness has to be found in God. 
She didn't land on some miracle drug. There's, there's a lot of good programs out there to stop smoking. There are. Some are better than others. But she didn't. She quit cold turkey. Now, what her belief was is that health-wise, she was probably going to die. You see, her husband, Bruce, had to have, I think it was quadruple bypass surgery. He wasn't doing good. And it was in that moment of realizing what smoking is doing and the toll that it's taking on your body. So she went from one belief to another, correct? I love my mom. I love her very much. But that happiness wasn't necessarily founded in Christ and in God and the happiness that he's going to provide for us along the way. You see, we can read in Luke 9, verses 23 through 25. Then he said to the crowd, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross daily and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but you yourself are lost or destroyed? You see, Jesus never requires us to deny ourselves happiness, never. He only requires us to deny the pursuit of happiness through self-pleasures. You see, it's those pleasures that have become an idol in our lives. It's the pleasures that we have been tricked into believing will bring us gratification. The Bible doesn't tell us that happiness is the goal of life either, does it? It's nowhere in there that happiness is the goal of life. The Bible says that happiness is a byproduct from loving God. When personal happiness becomes the end goal of all that we seek, then personal happiness becomes the governing principle in our individual lives rather than the Holy Spirit. To love Jesus and to love like Jesus is our pursuit as Christians. And it's in that pursuit we'll pick up things and learn things along the way that's going to bring us happiness. You see, in happiness, we're going to have victories and we're going to have defeats. We're going to have victories and we're going to have defeats. But I'm here to tell you, nowhere in the Bible does it say that God's inviting us as Christians to a playground. He's not inviting us to a football game, the basketball court, the soccer field. The pl- nowhere. What God is inviting us to and what he tells us over and over again and what Paul says, this is a battle. This is a war. The way we win the battle of self-indulgence is by believing in God's promise and God's promise alone. The new belief in God's promise will root out and conquer the old craving. Second Peter verse one, four. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. And it's in this promise that will help us escape. And we can read that in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. The message translation. No test or temptation comes your way what is beyond the course of what others have had to face. 
How many times do we think that we're the only ones that are going through a situation or, or a thing? We do. We think we're the only ones. Nobody else is going through this thing or nobody else has what I have or am doing what I am doing. Mathematically, now don't hold me to a T here, okay, but over probably over 100 billion people have walked to this earth-ish. And you think you're the only one struggling with something ever? These lists are not new, right? These things that we're talking about, they're not new things. Everyone, and I mean everyone, has temptations, desires, and thoughts. Thoughts will come, and we cannot stop them, right? Thoughts will come, and we cannot stop them. You know, I was sitting outside of my patio the other day, and I was, I was um, looking at the pond, and we have this bird <laughs> that sits on the wire, and it flies down, and it gets a fish or whatever it wants to do, and it flies away, and it does it over and over and over again. And You see, I couldn't stop that bird, could I, from flying overhead? I couldn't. I could shoot. Never mind. I couldn't stop that bird from flying overhead, Okay. I couldn't. But what I can do is I can stop that bird from making a nest. We can't stop those thoughts from going in, can we? But we don't have to entertain them. We don't have to entertain them, and we do not have to act on them. And as a Christian, as a, as a brother and sister, there's no need to feel singled out or alone in your thoughts. There's no need for it. Absolutely none. Every day people fight the battle of false happiness and every day people are able to resist the temptation of acting out their selfish desires. And I think this is really what it boils to and this is what I'm, the statement that I'm gonna end the message with today. You have to make a choice. You have to choose. It's not an easy choice, is it? But what we cannot do is we cannot have one hand in heaven and the other hand holding on to the impurities of this world. We have to choose. Amen? Let us pray. So Heavenly Father, we, we come to you this morning, Lord. We just want to say thank you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for wrapping us in your arms. Thank you for cradling us. Thank you for holding us. Thank you for the grace that you have for us. Thank you for sending your son on the cross for us. We ask, Lord, that you help us identify these impurities, identify these things that are in our hearts, identify these things that are, are really starting to plague us, identify these things that we need help with. As this forge, Lord, heat us up. Help us to trust in you and you alone. Help us to rely on you and you alone. Help us to identify these desires. Help us to identify the things that the world have, have promised us that's gonna bring us happiness. Help us, help us identify these false idols. We ask that you work in our lives, Lord. We ask that you will bend us, twist us, shape us, manipulate us into the sons and daughters that you have called us to be. Help us rid ourselves of these things and send us out into all the nations on your behalf. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.
We're honored that you are with us today. Please connect with us because we want to get to know you. Head to our website, getreslife.org. That's G-E-T-R-E-S-L-I-F-E dot org. And like us on Facebook, Resurrection Life Church Cadillac, for upcoming events and information and ways to connect. God bless you and have a beautiful week.